Our gospel lesson is found in Matthew chapter 6, reading verses 9 through 13, the Lord's Prayer. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. And Father, as we come to your word this morning, we confess our weakness, that we know not how to pray as we ought, and so we ask that you would teach us to pray, make us to know your will, and by your spirit lead us on level ground and into all truth. We ask that you will speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. On August 23rd, 2011, a magnitude 5.8 earthquake rocked the Washington, D.C. area. I was away from home. My children were outside. No one knew what was happening. None of us knew that we even lived near a fault line. But some 90 miles to the south and southwest, there was a large shift in the tectonic plates. The damage was fairly minimal throughout the city, but the hardest hit site is also one of the city's most iconic structures, the Washington Monument. The earthquake caused no less than 150 cracks in the entire stone structure. The cracks threatened the integrity of the Washington Monument, and so the National Park Service responded by closing the monument and erecting elaborate scaffolding for three years around the entire structure. And so the most prominent architectural feature in the skyline of the entire city was now covered in scaffolding for its reconstruction. What's helpful for us this morning is when we consider the Lord's Prayer It is like scaffolding. As the scaffolding was constructed around the monument so that something could be built and rebuilt, this is something like what the Lord's Prayer is for us in our prayer lives. It's scaffolding, very prominent scaffolding that is to direct our desires. It is to shape our supplications, and it's also to orient our approach to God. You see, because this prayer is not the only prayer that you and I should or even can pray, but it is a model prayer that is to instruct us, it is to lead us. And so it's important for us to take the prayer. It's worthy of detailed, very slow, and very close attention as we think about building a prayer life. We've noted that the prayer begins with three petitions that are oriented to God. We ask God to hallow his name. We ask God to make his kingdom come. And we ask God now, today, that his will would be done. He instructs us not to begin with our own wants and needs. It's very important for us to consider that. That prayer doesn't begin with us. Even though it is appropriate that God does permit us to bring our wants and needs to him, that that is actually important, but it's not where prayer begins. And these first requests give us this Godward orientation. And each of these three requests are also attached to a small phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Yes, we're asking God to hallow his name on earth as it is in heaven. We're asking God to make his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we're asking God to make his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And our prayers are to be shaped by that preoccupation that God will make the reality of heaven, the place and the realm where he dwells, the reality on earth, the place and realm where we dwell. And Christian spirituality, importantly, is not about escaping the here and now. It's not about jettisoning the earth and getting away from it, but rather it's a deep longing and a deep cry for the reformation of the earth, that the earth would correspond to heaven once again, that it would be made right. And so when we come to this final supplication, this final petition, thy will be done, certainly it does overlap and it interlocks with the request for God to hallow his name and the request for God to make his kingdom come, but it also has its own domain of concern. And so what are the implications for us when we take up these words and when we pray like this, thy will be done? Three things for you to note this morning. First, in this request, we learn to betray our own will. It's important to note that human existence, including our own, has been one long boycott against the will of God. In Eden, Adam was instructed not to eat of one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In eating of this tree, Adam didn't simply break an arbitrary rule that was set by God. Rather, he expressed most forcefully his desire for independence from God. It was a quest after autonomy. He desired to be the judge of what was considered good. He desired to be the judge of what was considered wrong or evil. It was the revolt of the human will over and against the will of God, and we've all fully participated in that. This is the sin that we all share in, the quest for autonomy from God. But when we're adopted into God's family through Jesus, when we're given the privilege of praying our Father, because the Son has reconciled us to God, we are forgiven of that willful rebellion that we have prosecuted against God. And we learn a deep secret that our best interest, that my best interest, that your best interest are in learning to deny yourself, to turn from your own will and to give yourself fully to the will of God. Our will has led to such ruin, it's caused such rot, there's death and decay in our world because of that will. And as forgiven sinners, we learn to turn away from that will and to seek the good and the life-giving will of God. John Calvin, the Genevan reformer, says it this way. He says, by this prayer, we are formed to self-denial so God may rule in us according to his decision. And this is what we seek when we pray these words, thy will be done. We seek not to be ruled by our own decision, by our own standards, by our own values. We seek to be ruled by God. And so pray those words and seek God's rule in your life. A second, in praying these words, we also give ourselves to God freely. God reveals his will in several different ways in the Bible, but in part, his will is known through what he commands. It expresses his moral will, his desires, what he loves, what he delights in, and also what displeases him. 
In Matthew 12, Jesus was busy ministering. He was teaching, and he was interrupted by his family. His mom and his brothers had come, and they demanded to see him. They asked him to come outside. And then Jesus asked this question. He says, who is my mother, and who are my brothers? It was a rhetorical question. He wasn't looking for an answer. And then he provided the answer. And in verse 49 and 50, listen to what he says. Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus redefines his family around those who seek to do the will of God. And so his mother and brothers were not outside, they were in the room, those who were listening to his teaching, those who were looking in faith to him to be the one who would forgive their sins, those who were then seeking to be changed and transformed and to do his goodwill and to trust him. That is Jesus' family. And in doing God's will, it's always important to point out that we are never trying to save ourselves. We're not trying to accumulate enough frequent flyer points so that we can somehow whisk ourselves up into heaven. That's not what doing God's will is about. No, rather, as those who have been forgiven of their sins in Jesus, we then seek to renounce our will. It has created such problems, and we're turning to God, and we're seeking to align ourselves now with his good and trustworthy will. We're pursuing what God loves. We're pursuing what God desires. We're pursuing what delights God. He reconciles us into the family in order to put us on this path of pursuing his will. And so when we pray, thy will be done, there's really two things taking place. First, we are asking God to school us, to teach us his will that he would instruct and lead us in the way. That's a never-ending process. Yes, we have the Bible, the Word of God. You can commit it to memory, but it must be applied to specific situations. And so we always have to be going to God with humility. We approach Him, and we ask Him to guide us into His will, that we know how to apply His Word and His standards to all the various situations of life. And when we pray these words, the second thing we're doing We're also committing ourselves. We're joining up with the work of the kingdom. God's great purposes in the world to renew all things. We're signing up for that. So there's humility in which we ask to be taught. And then there's also an activity in which we give ourselves over. We devote ourselves to God for his service. And finally, in this simple request that his will would be done on the earth, we entrust ourselves to God to his plan, and to his purpose. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus displays this trust for us. His betrayal and his sufferings were just about to commence. Jesus understood that. And then in Matthew 26, as he prays, he asks God that God would allow the cup to pass from him if possible. But then he prays these famous words, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And in that exchange, in that prayer, in that communion with his Father, he submitted himself to the plan of God for the redemption of the world. He trusted God. And he trusted God straight through the darkness of Gethsemane and then into the agony and the horror of Calvary. Not my will, but yours. And friends, Jesus provides the model for us that when we pray, thy will be done, we join with him. 
and we submit ourselves to God. And we don't always understand God's ways and his purposes for how he orders things in our lives. But we also submit ourselves to the God whose purpose to work all things together for our good never fails. Yes, we don't always understand, but we know we can also trust. And when Jesus says, not my will be done, but yours, it is this ultimate act of trust and faith. And he invites us to do so as well. And so we express meekness and trust as we come to a loving heavenly Father who never fails us. His purposes will not be thwarted. His will is working everything together for our good. And when we pray, thy will be done, this is what we are giving ourselves into, that nothing in all creation, not death, not disease, not any distress can separate us from the love of God in Jesus. And so we submit ourselves to him. Body and soul, we freely give ourselves to God. And friends, this is an important piece of the scaffolding. To learn to pray, thy will be done. We gladly betray ourselves, turning against our own will. We give ourselves to God, learning his will, and seeking to become doers of it. And we entrust ourselves to the will of God in all of life. And we do so for one very simple but profound reason. It is because we have learned the secret that God is our loving and gracious Father. And that we have been adopted through his true son, Jesus Christ. And we've been brought into the sacred communion with God. And we know that then as a loving Father, that every command he gives, we don't have to be suspicious of that they're good and they're for our flourishing, that he will never misguide us, that he will never forsake us, that in even the most difficult circumstances of life, God is for us in Jesus. And so, friends, we can pray with great confidence and great ease, thy will be done. And let's ask him for the help to do so. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this model of prayer that our Lord Jesus has left us, and it directs us and orients us and guides us into the truth of how to build a successful prayer life. And God, we ask that you would teach us all that it means to pray, thy will be done. Guide us into all that truth, and may we freely give ourselves over to you. May we turn away from our own sinful will. And would we entrust ourselves to you in all circumstances of life? We ask for help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.